And if you would, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to begin reading at verse number one, and the prophet is speaking of the coming Messiah. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse number one. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So friends, if Jesus has borne your grief, why are you still carrying it? Whatever is on your heart today, whatever is weighing you down, the prophet Isaiah said, surely Jesus has borne our griefs and he carries our sorrows. And so that means that, that he is a good Savior. He's a good Savior. But I want you to notice the contrast in that Scripture. It says, surely Jesus has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows yet. Yet, which means in spite of how good he has been, we did esteem him smitten, we did esteem him stricken, not by the Roman soldier, but smitten by God and afflicted. It seems like Isaiah is almost asking the question, how could a Savior that is so good to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, how could he end up smitten by God and afflicted. Well, we'll get back to that in a little bit. Have you ever thought about the power that symbols have in our society? Symbols carry messages that, that are subliminal. They let you know that this thing is exactly what you need. And so through symbols, we become aware of something without the need of speech, or without any other evidence. What I mean by that is, the moment you see the Eiffel Tower, you know that you're not in Oklahoma City. The moment you see the Golden Arches, you know that you are not at Wendy's. Having it your way. When you see the swoosh, you know you're not wearing Converse or Adidas. And so you see, symbolism brainwashes us so that when we see the icon, we expect that certain person, place, or thing. And millions and millions of dollars are spent every year to come up with a branding that's going to resonate with you and with me and will make us remember the product. And so they want to get the message to us through the symbol. That's why if I say the Big Apple, you know that I'm not talking about a red delicious. Well, symbolism is also very important in the Scriptures. 
You see, because God uses symbols to help us understand things about him that we wouldn't otherwise understand. The Ark of the Covenant is a symbol. For the children of Israel, it represented the very presence of God. They went into battle carrying the Ark of the Covenant with a shout, with confidence, because they felt like that if they had the symbol, the Ark, they had the Lord on their side. But you have to understand, though, that the symbol is not what it represents. The symbol is not what it represents. Because if it is, eat the golden arches. See how that sets with your digestive system. If it is, draw a swoosh on your foot and try to dunk a basketball. It's not the swoosh, is it? See, there is a difference between the symbol and what the symbol represents. And so the image, so the symbolism is the image that conveys the thought of what we're thinking about. But when we get to the cross, the cross that Jesus died on, I mean, among the many things that it does represent, it does not represent the presence of God like the Ark of the Covenant does. If anything, I submit to you that it re represents the absence of God's presence. For Christ himself said when he was on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so if it doesn't represent the presence of God, what does it represent? Well, for one thing, it represents the judgment of God. Now, you might argue that it represents salvation, but, but it's, a fact, it's the fact that it represents judgment that even makes me eligible to be a recipient of salvation. You might say the cross represents love. Well, I might say the cross represents anger because if God was expressing love, then why was Christ smitten by God? But you see, in both instances, we would both be right. You see, because we're looking at the cross from two different sides. You're looking at it from the earthly side while I'm trying to describe it from the heavenly side. And so Isaiah is teaching us that Christ on the cross was smitten by God. That's what he says. But if God is love, how does that equate? And so what is it about this symbol that we are missing? Now, we understand that the blood was shed. We understand that we were redeemed. We understand that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We understand that his blood, that it was the price for our redemption. And we understand that through it, he became our kinsman redeemer. And without it, there is no door whereby salvation is offered. We understand all of that. But what is it about the cross that we're missing?
Now, our message today ties in with the sermon series that, that we just finished. The name of that series was Fake News. Kind of a current topic today, right? Isn't it funny? The Mueller report. Whichever, whoever you listen to, I mean, it's a completely different report. It says completely different things to different people. Anyway, fake news, the myth of the devil. And the basis for those messages was, was Genesis chapter 3. And during that series, we explored the portal whereby sin first entered this world. And I think probably most of you are, you, most of you are familiar with the story. Satan came in the form of a certain serpent to entice Eve to eat the fruit of the garden, of which God said in verse 3, you shall not eat lest you die. But then the fake news of the devil in verse number 4 was that you shall not surely die, for God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil promises things that sin just cannot deliver, folks. Well, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, and that's why we're in the mess that we're in today. And so I want to pick that story up in Genesis chapter 3 at verse number 12. God had come down in the garden in the cool of the day. He was looking for Adam and Eve. said, Adam, where are you? God said, have you eaten of the tree which I told you not to eat? Verse 12 says, and the man said to God, the woman you gave to be with me, it's her fault. Some man over there said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to, not, not going to say anything, I ain't going to look over there. It's her fault. Men, isn't that what we always say? The Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? Eve said, it's not my fault. The devil made me do it. We like to pass the buck, don't we? And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because he didn't have anyone he could blame. And God said, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now what I want you to notice about that is that God starts out talking to the serpent, which after this scenario becomes a symbol of evil. But then he ends up addressing what the symbol represents. God says to the icon, to the snake, you're going to crawl on your belly and you're going to eat dust all of your life. And so he's dealing with the physical symbol. But then to what the symbol represented, to Satan, God said, I'm going to put open hostility between you and the seed of woman. Well, when he said that, now all of a sudden we start dealing with prophecy. All of a sudden we start dealing with the coming of Jesus Christ. Because according to the Bible, the seed, the seed of the woman is Jesus Christ. And so what we're doing, we're actually hearing two different conversations. 
In one, God curses symbol and says, you and your progeny are going to crawl all the days of your life. But then God curses what the serpent represents, which is Satan. He prophesies, Christ will fatally bruise your head while you only bruise his heel. So now, you, now, we need to understand that Satan operates in a trinity just like God. He is the fallen Lucifer, the son of the morning, so he's satanic. But he also operates in physical form as the Antichrist. And he operates through the false prophet in the book of Revelation. And so when God cursed Satan in the garden, he cursed him from his origin to his destiny in every form he would take. And that's why all throughout history you will see Satan operating through different people trying to kill God's plan because Satan hates the curse that was placed on him at that time and he hates God's plan and tries to do what he can to keep it from coming to pass. That's why Satan will always try to kill the seed of your promise before it ever reaches realization. When Christ was coming to earth, Satan knew it, and he operated through King Herod. And he sent out a death decree to kill every boy under two years of age. Why did he kill all the innocent kids? Because Satan does not mind who he destroys as long as he is going to destroy the plan of God. And that is the same thing for your life. That's why Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Because he wants to do away with everything that God has planned for you. And you see, all this was birthed from this one passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3 about the serpent who after this passage then becomes a symbol of evil of the treacherous demonic influence of Satan. Well, we see the serpent again when Moses has an encounter with God. In Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 3, God told Moses, cast your rod down. And when he did, it turned into a snake. And the Bible says that when he did that, Moses ran. Because even in Moses' day, generations later, the serpent was still a symbol of evil. And it's not that Moses was scared of snakes, but he knew that the snake represented evil, and he didn't want to have anything to do with evil. Well, then God told Moses, pick it up by the tail. And when he did, it turned back into a stick. There will always be a correlation a connection between a stick and a serpent. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where we see this entire conflict between the seed of the woman, Jesus, who would die on the stick, and Satan, who was represented by the snake. So throughout the Bible, we see the symbolism of the stick and the snake with the snake being the symbol of evil. So everything's rolling along just fine until all of a sudden one day we get to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 14, we find Jesus making a parallel about himself and the serpent who represents evil. 
Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Wow. I mean, what in the world happened with Moses in the wilderness that became a symbol of what happened with Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Numbers chapter 21. Now, the children of Israel, they're going through the wilderness. And it's hot, they're hungry, air conditioner's broke, car's having trouble. And so they start complaining against their leader, Moses. And the Bible says they started complaining against God. Now, I understand if you want to complain against me. I deserve it. You know the serpent I was talking about? Sometimes he dresses in white. <laughs> now you made me forget my point. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It's fine to complain against me, but hey, don't complain against God. God is not the guy that you need to uh, disrespect. Because verse 6 says of Numbers 21, So God sent fiery serpents among the people, and many people of Israel died. I wonder how many people would repent if all of a sudden snakes started slithering through this auditorium. You think we might have revival? We'd probably have a stampede. That's what we'd have. Well, as you can imagine, the people repented and Moses prayed to the Lord on their behalf. And so in verse number 8 of Numbers 21, God instructs Moses to take some bronze and make it into the shape of a serpent. And when the bronze looked like the thing that bit the people, when it looked like a serpent, God said to lift it up on a stick and the people would live. Isn't that interesting? Okay, but now notice, in order to make the bronze look like the thing that had bit them, they had to beat the bronze. You see, if they didn't beat the bronze, the bronze wouldn't change its form and turn into the thing that was biting the people. And so you see, the beating of the bronze is a picture of the judgment of God, which took Jesus and smitten him and formed him into the thing that bit mankind. Are you with me? It's interesting that Jesus didn't die on the whipping post. History says that he was beaten bad enough that any other person would have died during that scourging. But you see, if Jesus had died on the whipping post, then he wouldn't have been lifted up. And if he had not been lifted up, then we would have not been delivered. And so Jesus resisted death. Jesus held back death. I mean, it was a terrible, horrific situation and experience. They pulled the beard out of his face. They punched him. They beat him. 
They mocked him. They spit upon him. Blood covered his face and his body, but Jesus refused to die because he had to make this correlation between the stick and the serpent. When they nailed him to the tree, when they lifted him up between heaven and earth, Jesus on the cross became the picture of what the serpent was in the wilderness. Jesus on the cross became the picture of what the serpent was to the children of Israel. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The children of Israel were dying in the wilderness. And God says, I'm going to cure you with what's causing you to die. Even today when a snake bites a person, the antidote is made from the very venom that is trying to kill the person. Just like the flu shot is made from the flu. So by injecting in you what you're trying to get away from, you will build up your resistance against getting infected by what you're trying to escape. But see, this isn't a new idea. For when the Israelites were bitten by the serpents, God said, I'm going to heal you with what is killing you. God didn't lift up a dove. He didn't lift up a bull. Those things wouldn't have done it. But God said, I'm going to lift up the very evil that has infected you. And Numbers 21.9 says that Moses lifted the bronze serpent on a stick, and if anyone had been bitten, when they looked at the snake, they lived. So what I want you to see is that when the bronze serpent was lifted up, it became the Savior to the people. And if anyone looked at it, they were saved from the poison that was killing them. Even today, modern medicine has a symbol of the stick and the snake that represents healing. So can you see, this is what Jesus did on the cross to bring deliverance to you and me. And that's why you don't have to tell me what bit you. That's why you don't have to tell me what's wrong with you. Because in some kind of way, everyone here in this room has something wrong with them. But I want you to know if I can just look up when all hell is breaking loose in my life, if I can just look up when trouble surrounds me, if I can just look up when the storms of life are raging, if I can look up, I can be healed. Only God, only God can take what's wrong with you and use it to heal you because only God is the one who has the antidote to your sin. For the children of Israel, when the serpent was lifted up, it transitioned and became their Savior. And while a snake was biting them on the ankle... They were looking up at a snake on a stick. And the snake they were looking up at was healing them from the snake that was killing them. So with this same correlation, when Jesus was lifted up on that cross, 
He saved us from the sin that was killing us. Now, if you don't see this correlation, you're never going to understand the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, what he who knew no sin became sin, what that means is Christ became it without doing it. Jesus wasn't a liar, but he became a liar for me. He wasn't an adulterer, but he became adultery for me. He didn't commit the act, but he symbolized the act when he was lifted up on the cross. And he hung on that cross as the epitome of every evil, nasty, wicked, dirty, treacherous thing you have ever done. Not only what you have done, but anything and everything that you will ever do. And anything that the inmates did, anything that any abuser or rapist or murderer did, Jesus Christ became that sin. He had to cover everything or the cross would not mean anything. He couldn't become adultery and not become homosexuality. He couldn't become homosexuality and not become a liar. He couldn't become a liar and not become a drug dealer because if he did, we could only preach the gospel to certain kinds of people. He became sin for me. You see, we look up and we see a Savior who bore our grief and our sorrow. But God looked down from heaven and saw sin. You look up and you see righteousness. But God looks at the cross and he sees wickedness. The cross was so horrific that Jesus, to Jesus, that he prayed three times, Father, if it be your will, let this bitter cup pass from me. Do you think Jesus was scared of death? No. He woke Lazarus up from the dead on the way to the cross. Do you think he was scared of the nails? No. He made the steel that the nails would be. He didn't say, Father, the cross is too much for me to bear, but he did say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because from heaven's point of view, he became the symbol of every wicked, lustful, craving, devious, conniving, satanic, witchcraft, child molesting, raping, murdering, serial killing, mass suicide thing that would ever happen on this planet. And Jesus became the icon that God had to slap to be able to redeem all of that. All of your sins, all of your iniquities, all of my sins, all of my iniquities were laid on the perfect sinless son of man and Jesus was smitten by God 
So when the father reared back and slapped Jesus, God was really slapping our sins. And so just as a serpent in the wilderness became a savior, Christ, who was the Savior on the cross, became like the serpent, representing all evil. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, so that sinners, while they were bitten, could look up on him. And that's why Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people unto me. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 says, if the princes of this world would have known what they were doing, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. You see, because if they hadn't crucified Jesus, he would have never been lifted up. And if he hadn't been lifted up, Satan would have won. But because Jesus became every sin that has ever been committed, this gospel can be preached in the White House or in the crack house. It can be preached in the boardroom or it can be preached in Burundi, Africa because the same blood that was shed was shed for every person. Now, I believe that abortion is wrong. I know it's a political hot potato today, but I believe it is the taking of a life. But I also know that that was on the cross. It's not God's will for people to divorce because we break a covenant before God, but that was on the cross too. I mean, there are many people who have been molested. And if the molested is here, then the molester is here. And as hideous as it may sound, that heinous crime was also on the cross. There are murders in prison. That was also on the cross. Whatever you're thinking about, whatever you did, whatever you're ashamed of, whatever you can imagine, Jesus Christ did not leave that sin out, and it was included on the cross. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Every single sin, Jesus Christ carried them. And Isaiah said, I don't understand what I'm seeing. How could Jesus be so good and yet be smitten by God? It's because, Isaiah, you're looking from the earth upwards, but God is looking from heaven down, and Jesus Christ died for us. And when they lifted him up on the cross, the ground trembled. The sun hit its face. And I don't know why that happened, but maybe it's because there had never been so much sin, so much evil, so much wickedness in one place. But whatever the dynamic was, there was something that happened in the spirit realm where Jesus Christ the very Son of God was smitten by God. You see, the cross to us is what the bronze altar is in, in the holy temple. It's a place where sin is dealt with. Now, people would bring the sacrificial lamb and tie it to the bronze altar. And the priest would slay the lamb 
But the sacrifice was for the sins of the person who brought the lamb. You see, so the innocence that was on the lamb went on the sinner. And the sins that were on the sinner went on the lamb. And so God killed the lamb so that it became what the sinner used to be. And God let the sinner live because the sinner became the innocence that the lamb had before. That's why Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself as a ransom for me. Hallelujah. Friend, the mystery of the cross is so the deceiver will know that Christ became deceit. So that the manipulator knows that Jesus became manipulation. Along with all wickedness and witchcraft and debauchery and perversion and abuse, God judged it all on Calvary so that this glorious gospel can be preached and would not exclude anyone. If God died for somebody, he died for everybody. And even though you may not like what I did, the same blood that covered my mess is the same blood that covers your mess. Everything we ever did was placed on him because he bore the iniquities of us all. Now, we have an intelligent group of people here today. And inquiring minds want to know. And so you may be wondering what happened to the sins. Well, there are two animals that are used in the sin offering. One of them is the lamb, which we're familiar with, the sacrificial lamb. But one that we don't hear much about is introduced in us in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 10. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat. Scapegoat. Now we're familiar with that term, scapegoat, right? Did you know that was a Bible term? Leviticus chapter 16, 22, The goat, the scapegoat, shall bear on itself all of their iniquities and it shall be released in the wilderness carrying their sins away. Even in society today, when someone ends up taking the blame for everyone else, he's still called the scapegoat. Well, friend, I want you to know Jesus Christ was not only my sacrificial lamb who paid the price for my sins, but he was also my scapegoat who carried my sins away. And the reason why we have trouble getting today's church to have real worship is because we don't fully understand what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross or we don't remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And if you ever understand, if you ever remember what he did, you won't need singers, you won't need instruments, but you'll just be cleaning out your closet one day and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then when you think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for you, your soul will cry out, Hallelujah. We've got it backwards. We praise God for silly stuff. Oh, I got a new car. Oh, they cut the price on those shoes I've been waiting for. 
And God shakes his head, and he's watching us because what he provided for us is so much more than a car. It is so much more than shoes. Because when your soul is at the gates of hell, when Satan was trying to kill you, when Satan was trying to destroy you, when his demons were trying to bind you up, Jesus Christ himself died for your sins. If you are going to praise God about anything, praise Him about that. If you get excited about anything, you ought to get excited that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. Most of you are familiar with the Witness Protection Program, I believe. If you're not, it's the process whereby someone who is guilty of a serious crime, but because of their value to the government, is given a new identity, and their criminal record can be expunged or wiped out. Friend, I want you to know, God has his own version of a witness protection program. And through the years, people who were guilty of the most despicable sins have made their way to these altars. And because of their value, because God loved them so much that he sent his son to die on the cross, Jesus said, I'll cover those two. And his blood has never, ever turned any. I was guilty. I was so guilty. I was so guilty. If God would have taken me when I was in my sin, I would have split hell wide open. It doesn't matter what good works I had done. It doesn't matter this. It doesn't matter on that. I was in sin, and God, if he hadn't spared me, I would be in hell today. But God said, look to the cross, Mike. And to my son, Jesus. And my soul was healed. And he gave me a whole new identity. But Mike, Mike, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But he does. And Jesus is saying today, it's okay. I covered that also. And Jesus is asking you to allow him to come into your heart. Because here is the truth. When Jesus died, he had you on his mind. He was thinking about you when they were driving the spikes in his hands and feet. He was thinking about you when they pierced his side with a spear. And he allowed himself to be stricken and smitten by God for you.
Bow your heads with me if you would. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to me. And Jesus is drawing you today with all your sin, with all your guilt, with all your shame. Jesus will be your scapegoat. He will place you in heaven's witness protection program, not only with a new identity, but also with your sinful record expunged. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of you and me. I feel the presence of the Lord in this room. And he wants to save you. He wants to heal you. He wants to deliver you. And he wants to walk with you every second of your life. And so if you need to be forgiven of sin, if you know there's things in your life that are not pleasing to God, would you raise your hand? You need to have those things taken care of. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you used to walk with the Lord. He used to be the Lord of your life, but the cares of this world have come in and strangled that relationship. But you need to come back home to the Father today. Would you raise your hand? Thank you, yes. Yes, thank you. When we understand the cross. We understand what Jesus did for us.